This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So, so this, this series starts from one of my favorite quotes, a quote I've just loved for years and years and years. And the quote is a pretty simple one, and it's from Maya Angelou. And the quote says, saving heaven for a far-off day shows a lack of gratitude. Saving heaven for a far-off day shows a lack of gratitude. And, and that question, that, that quote, it may come across as negative, but I want to flip it to the positive. So if we're saving heaven for far-off, and that shows a lack of gratitude, what happens if we really start to practice heaven now? What does that look like? How does it work? How, how can that function out there? What does it all mean? What does it all mean? I think it's important to be able to think as, as heaven as something very real. I mean, we have this basic concept in New Church, a very basic one. It's so basic it's about to fly up there. Technology is not my friend at all. There we go. Everyone is born for heaven. Everyone is born for heaven. Now, now that doesn't mean that, that every bit of life is heavenly. It, it doesn't mean that people can't choose the opposite. But, but it means that the big guy has set it up so that you get to experience heaven. He sort of stacked the deck, so to speak, so that heaven works. So that we actually get to experience heaven. And we actually, we, you know, in this way, and I love this way this one author put it, we can experience heaven all the way to heaven or hell all the way to hell. And that's regardless of life circumstances. I mean, just imagine, folks, that, that if we really understood heaven, maybe we'd understand it. Take a look at this next slide. That heaven is not a promise we await. But I have you say the second P word there. Heaven is not a promise we await, but a practice, a practice we engage in. Like, what would it look like to really practice heaven now? And what I'm going to be talking about is a really, really simple word I'm going to ask us all to think about. Instead of saying the word from, it's the word for, all right? So when I put these four fingers up, I want to hear you say for really loudly with great gusto. Are you ready? All right. All right, we're going to do it one more time. That's it. And that's all you need to know for today is, is what does that for mean? It's a really significant way to hold things. What does for actually mean? Well, I love this idea to get us started. Take a look at this next slide up here about for. Heaven is wishing better. Ready, folks? Wishing better for others than for ourselves with all our heart. Now, that's interesting, right? So I can actually live to the point where I'm wishing better for them than for myself. Now, now that does not mean that, that I'm holding myself as unworthy or unlovable. That's, that's not a good way to go. It's just saying I'm going to reach a point where I'm actually going to want more for them than I want for myself. If you have a child, some of us do, some of us don't. If you have a child and your wish for your child is that they not be as accomplished as you are, that's not good. You know, what parent doesn't want their kid to have more than they did? You know, to have an easier life, to have this and everything. And that can get us into trouble. Obviously, we take that too far. But, but that idea, yeah, we really do want those for those we love. We want something for them. 
And the second definition of heaven. Heaven is serving others for the sake of their own happiness. Not out of selfishness, but out of love. So so we look at those things that bring them joy, that bring happiness, and we we literally try to serve there. We're trying to to do it out of love. My dad was a city slicker, uh, big-time city guy, moved out to the country. I remember him. He did it once. He tried to go bass fishing with me. (laughs) It wasn't pretty, but he tried. You know, and that idea of like, here's just, and I just knew it was his way of expressing love to me, was to help me go bass fishing. That's what this is talking about. So the story that we're going to look at, folks, we're going to look at the story here from from Mark 10. And it's a beautiful story from Mark 10. And it's it's a story of, of what is sometimes called the 13th disciple. It's, it's a story that I feel like, again, can need, need, needs preached on over and over again because it's, it's so poignant. Because it's not about somebody who's doing it wrong. Really important. It's just somebody who's actually doing it right. And there were 12 disciples, 12 followers of Jesus, and they came from all different perspectives and backgrounds, and, and they were really a really screwy bunch of people, which makes the story so much more believable to me. And then you had the 12 disciples. We're going to talk about, take what he's, guess what he's called in theological circles, number 13, the 13th disciple, the guy who almost got it. And I think in the end, I'm sure he actually did. Now, this story comes right after Jesus has talked to people and he said, look, if you want to understand the kingdom of heaven, you have to understand that, that the kingdom of heaven is like a little child. The kingdom of heaven is like a little child. And then, as he starts moving on his way, this is where the story starts. As Jesus started on the way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, as many of you know, you know he's not actually really asking. He's telling the question. Because he's done a lot of good things with his life. It's kind of like you've got your resume in your back pocket, and you're just hoping somebody asks. That's the energy this guy's bringing to him. Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Now you can see see where he was telling the question there? So, so Jesus gives him, well, here's the multiple, chest to, uh, the multiple test, multiple choice test, and, and the guy raises his hand, he's got, I got all the, I got a hundred on it. I got a hundred on all those questions. Welcome eternal life. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Beautiful line, we'll look at that. And loved him. There's no scolding here. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. <laughs> you just imagine his face at this moment. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? And here in the new church, we don't read those kind of lines literally. We read them poetically. It's talking about a a know-it-all attitude, a richness of mentality where you believe you have it all figured out. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said, Children, hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? 
It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. Beautiful, beautiful lines there. So I want to talk about this. You know, as the band comes out, I want to say, I want to talk about this. And I want to talk about it with three basic images. I want to look at this picture of the camel. Is that a cool looking camel or what? We're going to look at the camel. Then we're going to look at it with this. A gate. A hole in the wall. Can you guess what that hole in the wall is called? That is called the eye of the needle. And then we're going to look at a beggar as well. I want to tell the story in three different parts. So much of church is this. Like when we look at the Bible, we look at the, at the words on the page. And the words on the page are really important. But so are the spaces around those words. And what we're to bring to those spaces around, the word, around those words is, is our own intelligence, our own way of seeing it, tradition and, and inspiration. And I tell you, we can bring some beautiful words around an incredibly powerful concept that will get us to understand what four is all about. So those wings of forever, finding ways to touch those wings of forever as best we can. I think that's so much what this story is about, because it's, it's easy to look at it and, and think, well, this young man, he was doing it wrong, but, but that's not the point. The point is, is, is Jesus is asking him something to, to actually have his heart come alive. And, and maybe if we're too concerned about just doing it right, we'll miss it. Could I get a little amen on that? <laughs> We're too concerned about doing it right. We'll miss it. If we're too concerned about threading the needle, somehow we will miss it. As we look at this, folks, and as we pull this together, I want to take a look at the way this story was read in the Middle Ages. When I was doing research for this, there's been seen in different ways in different different eras and I, I love the way that they saw this story in the middle ages and the way they would preach on it so I like that so I am going back to the middle ages for a couple minutes here now now the story it's interesting right because it starts out here and it said that 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 Jesus knew this was a rich young man well the question would be how would he know that the guy had was wealthy how would he know take a just shout something out Probably his clothing. He probably had more than your usual clothing, more than your usual just robe. And he probably had one of these right behind him. He probably had a camel. And what do you think he had on the camel? Begins with S, ends with tough. Stuff. He probably had stuff. It's like you show up to visit Jesus and you got your SUV packed to the gunnels. All right, so he shows up. Here he, here he has his camel behind him. And you can imagine Jesus looking at this guy. And, and again, this is where like we, we, we miss it. And I say it over and over and over again. We miss it because we, we think Jesus is always frowning. No, 
I mean, he does have a few times where he frowns. But the vast majority of the time, this guy is filled with joy. And filled with love. Because he's trying to help people. He's trying to use words that will return them to themselves. Now this is how that goes on. It goes on, and here's the quote. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you, you lack, he said. Go sell everything. Can you imagine this? Go sell everything. I can only imagine somebody telling me that. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. It's obvious that Jesus is pointing here to the fact that he felt the young man lacked lack. He lacked lack. He was completely self-sufficient. And he completely in a place where, if you look at it from New Church, where, where he had it all together. In his mind, he had all the knowledge, he knew how to do things, he, he just had it all together. He'd gotten it all figured out somehow. How old were you the last time you felt you had it all figured out? I think 24 was the last time I felt like I had it all figured out. Which is why I think it comes at that, at that young age. So it's interesting, right, folks? Because if you read this story, the story goes on to this beautiful line. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. So there's a warning there. But the way they, the way they saw this in the Middle Ages, which I love, because I, I do see this as kind of Jesus' sense of humor is they actually took this story in the sense of the letter, they actually took it a little bit literally. They said, look, here's your camel standing right behind you, and here's this gate called the eye of the needle. Can a camel get through that? No, a camel cannot get through that. And that, I think, should bring a smile to us. That, that idea that, 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 that when we come to life with with so much stuff, with, with being overloaded, with being burdened, with, with really feeling like we know it all. It's hard to, to have a spiritual journey that... It's hard to have a spiritual journey where we're open. It's hard to have a spiritual journey where we're open with what is right in front of us. I think, again, that's why weeks like, like last week, I mean, incredibly tragic, incredibly hard, but at the same time, those weeks also open us to each other. Because there's so much more that we, just, that we just have to leave behind again and again and again. I, I see it, folks, as, as a wall here. And it's kind of, if we use an analogy of a fence, it's kind of where, 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 we're, where we're switching. We're going back and forth. I think so much of the place where we start original seat as it were we stay in a place we start in a place where it's where it's about accomplishing accumulating private salvation all about from and and i think if i read this story right there's this is a natural part of life a natural part of life where where we really do want to feel the 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 value of accomplishments i want to speak to the kids here for a minute it's good to feel good about what you've accomplished. It's good 
to feel good about what you've accomplished. And then, of course, in our lives, we, we try to accumulate things and, and a house and a car and all that stuff, you know, a fancy camel, whatever, whatever it might be. We go through that accumulation phase as well. And a lot of that, folks, comes down to this idea of a private salvation. I think this is really important. This is so subtle, but so important. Can I try to explain to you? Private salvation means that I sort of have a contract with God. And my job is to get straight with God so that I go to heaven. Do you notice the preponderance of the word I? It becomes totally about just me, myself, and and my salvation. The guy had done things really well. He had kept all the commandments. Is there anything wrong with keeping the commandments? You better all say no. (laughs) No, there's nothing wrong. It's a good thing. A river without banks is a puddle. Roads without guardrails are dangerous. Brakes are on cars for very specific reasons. But that's not the full game. I see this as a temptation, and it's, it's, it's a challenging one because it's, it's so subtle. Like, if I just have my salvation, it doesn't matter what happens with other people. I think, folks, we recognize that when that shifts. I'm going to give you an example of when that shifts. How many of you looked at that, that, uh, that mosque and what they did for the synagogue out there in Pittsburgh? Did anybody watch that? You know, this, this mosque raised, it ended up being over $200,000 and offered to guard the mosque the next time they start having services there. That's a movement away from private salvation. It's a powerful movement. And the last one here, the last part I think where we sit is we're looking at what we're going to get from. Like he's coming to visit Jesus and he's thinking, oh, I want to get this from Jesus, this salvation thing. I want to sort of use it like a vending machine. I'm going to put in all Ten Commandments into the vending machine. I'm going to press vend and out's going to come salvation. That was funny, wasn't it? Think of the Carvana thing. Um, you know, like, but, but that's not, that's not it. Folks, see if you remember. Please, please, please listen carefully. When Jesus saw this earnest young man doing all these things, it says Jesus looked at him and loved him. Loved him. Loved him. There's something beautiful in that earnestness. Nothing is wrong in this phase of life. It's just, in terms of the song Josh was singing, if we're going to touch the sky, you have to learn to fly. And God will move us. Notice what I'm saying. God will move us to see it very differently. And we come then to go on the other side of the fence and actually learn to sit in a different place. Now this place, emptying, relinquishing, Relational salvation, a place where we're for. So in this place, I actually get to a place where I understand I know very little. How many of us are pretty convinced now we actually don't know a whole lot? I see some enthusiastic Yeah, We kind of get, we don't know. 
I mean, more and more, I, I find working with people as a, as a pastor, you know, I, I've got to walk with them in their journey, but I don't have a program. Because so much of life, so much of life is so hard that the best we can do is to simply be with each other. The ministry of presence. Not the ministry of advice, but the simple ministry of presence. We also learn about relinquishing stuff. Uh, you know, how do I learn to travel lighter and lighter? It's, it's interesting, you watch older folks and they give stuff away all the time. I love that. You know, there's a relinquishing. There's a realizing that it's not going with me. And then there's a shift here, folks. Relational salvation. It's no longer some private contract. Here I am and here's God. It's here I am. Here's other people and struggles and worries in the world. And here's God. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor. They become one. Well said. That love now is horizontal. It's that belief, and it's not literally true, but I think figuratively we have to think this way. Either we all get in or none of us gets in. It's a different way to see salvation. It's, it's, it's why we do some of the things that we do. Because it always begs the question, if you've done a service event, always question, that the question always comes up, well, who's saving who? Or who's serving who? And then we get this last part. Last part, say it with gusto, folks, when I flash you the number four. We're no longer that worried about what we are getting from. We're far more worried about what we are going to do for other people. So can I tell you how I think this story ends? This is the way I think this story ends. I think the 13th disciple eventually gets it. I just, he's a good guy. He'll ponder it, he'll hit 30, and he'll get it. And I think the other 12... You know, they're sort of puzzled by this whole thing. They see this camel. They get it can't go through the eye of the needle. And they see Jesus scamper through, telling them, follow me. All of them follow him through this little hole. And then they look off to the right. And this is what they see. They see a beggar. Maybe for a minute, they got it. Maybe for a minute, they understood that if we come purely with our own private salvation, all loaded up, all having done the things that are right, the things that are right, we may have missed one of the most right things there is, which is the gift of seeing the other including the other, in their pain, in their suffering, and in their struggles.
seeing how that is out there into the world. Now you have to see this last line here with Jesus smiling, saying this last bit. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. I see that as being very much, very, very much, very much a way to just put out there clearly that God's got it. You know, our job, again, is, is to find that way to, to get rid of certain things so that we can enter certain places. Richard Rohr put it really funny. He said, you know, at age 40, success has nothing to teach you after the age of 40, which is kind of an interesting way to hold it. And the final takeaway for today. We need to learn to come from what we want for others, not what we want from others. I think how powerful that could be if we really did focus on what we wanted for other people. Really focus deeply on what do we want for other people. I think about that with young couples. You know, I'm privileged to work with a lot of young couples. And and how different, how different would their lives be, will their lives be, when they can really settle and and really think, what what do you want for her? What do you want for him? What do the two of you want for your marriage? I mean, just think about arguments in your own relationship. How many of your arguments are because you're not getting what you want from the other person? And it's pulled you away from what you want for them. Now, now it's not that it's, it's bad to want things from our partner. I think that there needs to be clarity around that. You can't ask for those things. But it all has to be within the spirit of love. I was thinking back to just a, just a few days ago. You know, my wife and I, like all of you in here who have relationships, some days we just miss. Some days we just miss. And so I decided I'm just going to go out on a walk. And there's part of me that's the tape, and the tape is from hell, and the tape is just going over and over again about all the things that I want from my marriage, from my relationship with her, from, 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 from. And I think what God is asking is to go through that very narrow gate, the eye of the needle. Push all that stuff away as best we can. Come out on the other side and ask the question, what do I want for it? I mean, for me, just at a personal level, it, it, what changed the conversation in my head was, was thinking, what do I want for my, life, for my wife for Thanksgiving? And it deals with a buffet so she doesn't have to cook. So that's what I think we want this week to be. How are we going to have it be a week where we are really thinking about what we want for our partner? I mean, imagine you're with a a partner, a close relationship, or you want to call someone this afternoon and just have that conversation about what do you want for each other? I think as we lean into that question, 
You get to experience heaven now. Because that's what heaven is. Wanting something more for another than what you want yourself. Amen. I'm now going to offer a prayer. You have the opportunity to say your own prayer, to say the Lord's Prayer as you know it, or to have a moment of quiet reflection. So please join me. Lord, thank you for your presence here among us today. And Lord, please help us to understand more and more how we can shift our thinking. What do I want for the other? Away from what I want from the other. Put us into that place as we approach Thanksgiving where we move into that quiet, quiet, settled space. Lord, knowing that there are places where we need to let go. Places where we need to put the boxes and the stuff aside. Places where we need to come to a simpler life. A life of surrender. A life of relinquishment. A life, actually, Lord, that is the life we're to live. Because it's unencumbered. It's focused. It's closer to you. A life, Lord, that allows us to see. Thank you for your presence here among us today, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for beautiful music. And thank you for our presence, one to another in this church. Be with us today as we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv.